Let's move on to something fun. We got an amazing treat for you today. Okay, now can we rewire it, please? So I can go have my muffin. I haven't had a muffin yet. Gary Hoffman. Well, I don't know what the internet is talking about because you are born. <laughs> Shannon Farron. Oh, thank you, lady. There's a French version of this show, and with me today are the two hosts. Gary and Shannon. Very cool people. Very cool. This is going to be nuts. God be with them. Not a little, you can use much more. There's a million things. If you hate Donald Trump, there's a million things that you can hang your hat on for for reasons why. You know, there's a million things you can criticize legitimately. But people who keep criticizing this guy's weight, it's like, do you know how ridiculous you sound right now? Silly. It's silly. It's as if the announcement yesterday that he weighs 239 pounds was the first time anybody said that he weighed 239 pounds. Right. Look at the guy. He's overweight. He's never said he's not. Who cares? It's, it's not a we're, thing. We're, we're, we're going to be weight shamers now? I mean, isn't there enough for you to uh, criticize? There's, I, a, there's a lot there. there. You don't need new material. You, uh, this guy on my Facebook page, who I used to work with, uh-oh. posts a picture of Donald Trump golfing. Looks pretty hefty. And then Cam Chancellor. And he writes... Cam Chancellor is 6'3 and weighs 232 pounds. Well, you know what? Cam <laughs> Chancellor is a freaking professional football player, for the love of God. Like, why can't he be more like Cam Chancellor? Well, why can't we all? Well, because Cam Chancellor gets paid for his body. Oh, my gosh. Uh... Give it a rest. Okay. A bunch going on today. Speaking of politics, Steve Bannon says he has apparently come to a deal with the uh, uh, special counsel's office to do some testimony there. And we may see... Fake news awards tonight. It got pushed back until today. We haven't seen any updates, at least not on the Twitter feed from the president, about the fake news awards that he was promising to hand out. But uh, as of the last time, it was uh, supposed to be sometime on the 17th of January. So uh, we'll see if the White House takes any questions about that. They're having a a news conference in not too long, a little White House press briefing. Also, Also, Orange County DA Tony Rakakis today, this morning, coming out and saying that they have charged... Samuel Woodward with murder in the murder of Blaze Bernstein, but that the investigation is continuing because they want evidence for a hate crime. This could easily be defended as manslaughter. But with that hate crime and crime enhancement, they uh, they could do a lot more damage. So we'll get into all that coming up at 11 o'clock. We're going to start, though, of course, in Riverside County in Paris. And uh, we have found out that there were no previous police or child welfare calls to that home where 13 kids, some of them adult children of this couple, David and Louise Turpin, there were no previous calls to this house for any reason, even though there were multiple reasons why there should have been, at the very least, a welfare check on behalf of child services or child protective services or the Department of Child Safety, whatever it's called in Riverside County. Well, we are hearing more anecdotes from neighbors, from relatives. Uh, One of the guys who lived across the street from them when they lived in Murrieta, remember, they have lived in Texas, Murrieta, and now Paris. And this guy named Mike did an interview with Fox News, and he said, uh, actually, I'm sorry, it was the New York Post he did an interview with, and he said that the family would march back and forth on the second story of the house at night 
that the light would be on the whole time. They'd be marching the kids back and forth and that this weird ritual would happen between midnight and 3 a.m. He told the New York Post, I thought they were like a cult. He said that his wife would refer to the children as clones and he noted that they spoke robotically in a monotone and at the same time. It seems through all of these anecdotes that there's odd things to raise eyebrows and questions, but not enough for a, a call to the authorities. That's enough for a call to the authorities. If this guy says that it's happened, if it happens more than once, if it happened one time. What, the marching? In a neighbor, yeah, in a neighbor's house, I would think. Uh, something weird is going on. Hey, I don't know. The dog pooped in the hallway and they all have to clean it up or they're getting ready to go on vacation and they're up early to do so or something like that. If it happens more than once, that's enough to raise suspicion. And, and I just, it's, it's concerning to me that we are so willing to look the other way because we are terrified of offending our neighbors or we're terrified of, of, of being accused of racism in the case of the San Bernardino uh, terrorist attack. We are so terrified about that when all you have to do is apologize and say, listen, if I, for example, let's say that happened in my neighborhood. I called on the neighbor. Child Protective Services shows up or the sheriff's department shows up and they find nothing's wrong. Well, the neighbors get pissed off that someone called on them. Right. And they find out it was me. I don't know how they would, but hey, they find out it was me and they confront me. And I say, you know what? You're you're you guys are good. You guys are great. My concern was not for you. My concern was for your children. And I would do I would gladly step in between you and your children if I felt that they were being abused. This guy, Mike, said that when the family moved out from that location in Marietta, there were lots of black garbage bags. He says, I never saw toys or bicycles. Uh, A neighbor of the family now, Kimberly, uh, in that neighborhood in Paris, described the family as standoffish hoarders. They had their garage filled with books. They often let their grass in the front yard grow out of control, unlike other people on the block. Well, that happens. She says, I got an impression that, you know, you stay in your lane, I'll stay in my lane. It was never high, never a wave, nothing. The aunt, one of the siblings of Louise Turpin, did an interview with Good Morning America. This was... uh... This was disturbing. This was the one who said that she hadn't seen her sister, I think, in 19 years. She lived with them for a short time while she was uh, while the family was in Texas. Yeah, she was in college at the time. She spent a couple months with the family, and it's bizarre what happened in that house. We'll talk about it when we come back from the break. Also play her interview there with Good Morning America this morning. Oh, and speaking of Texas, some of the people who own the homes in Texas where they stayed said that they found weird stuff when that family moved out. Oh. Which may have been signs that they were doing this for a very long time. All right. Also, $1,000. It's all coming up when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon. On this Wednesday, January 17th, as promised, here is how you can win $1,000. You're shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword WIN to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's WIN to 200-200. Don't forget, you got to answer that phone if you win. They will call you from a number you probably don't recognize. 
But if you don't answer, they'll find somebody else who will take that $1,000. We're talking about this bizarre family in Paris, 13 kids, some of them chained up when authorities were able to make entry into this home after one of the the girls, 17-year-old girl, they thought she was 10 because she was so malnourished, escaped through a window. Now everyone's tracking down the family members. Who knew what about what was going on inside that house? And one of the mom's sisters, Elizabeth Jane Flores, I don't know if she had more than one, but we know that Elizabeth Jane Flores was mom's sister, was on Good Morning America. And she talked about they, uh, the couple, David and uh, Louise, just, they were just private. They, so she didn't think it was a big deal. Well, when that happens for 20 years, and it was before the kids even, you know, were there, you don't think it's abnormal. You just think that they were always funny and private anyway, even before they ever had children. So you don't think about any. Now, if it had been like two years ago that she cut us off, then we might think, wow, you know, something's not right. But this has been going on before they even had children. I mean, even before they had children, they were real private and they didn't come around much. They did come around, but not much. She used the word funny to describe them. Well, I mean, off. Odd. Funny, not not uh, comical, but off, odd. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a weird word. They said that she, that Louise left home, the mother left home at 16 to marry this guy. That's a sign. Um, the, the woman here, this aunt, had a bizarre story about when she lived with the family for a few months while she was in college. Well, like, if I went to get in the shower, he would come in there while I was in there and watch me and it was like a joke he never touched me or anything but did you say anything to anybody about his his actions no i was young i was scared i was in texas where i knew nobody had no family um his sister i was treated like one of the kids kind of so i had rules I know, probably looking back, but, you know. Well, now that I'm an adult and I look back, I see things that I didn't see then. Sure. How do you not see your sister's husband watching you while you shower? That's not funny or odd. No, no. It's criminal at that point. Not to mention the fact that you have. She said she didn't have any family in Texas. She She was living with her sister. She's living with her sister. Uh, but she says she didn't see any actual physical abuse. Well, I only lived there for a few months, but I thought they were really strict, but I didn't see any type of abuse, you know. By the way, abuse doesn't have to be punching somebody in the side of the head, uh, as it's clearly demonstrated by this case. It can be the dad watching you while you shower, for the love of God. Now, there are people, we mentioned that they lived in Texas. They lived in a couple of different homes in Texas. And the current owners of those homes now say that they found scratch marks on doors as well as closets that may have been used to keep the kids apart. Um, and and when you go into a, a, a place like that, your first thought is not, oh, this is where they kept their kids in a closet chained uh, and bound. Or, or these marks on the door, those must be dog marks, not not kid fingernail scratches. But now in the context of the story that they've all heard, uh, that we've seen international now, these owners moved in after the Turpins moved out and claimed that the home was left in complete squalor. They found scratch marks on the backs of doors, 
carpet was covered in disgusting dirt stains. Look at that. Look at that. That looks like. That looks like a Civil War hospital right there. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And there's just filth on the doors. It looks like the hotel we stayed at in Cleveland. (laughs) Yes, it does. Now, the current owners of the home in Texas didn't want to be identified, said that they found several unusual vents in the master bedroom closet when she moved in in 2010, that there are two vents in the closet that are now covered up. And she says, now knowing what we all know, she says she believes that the children may have been locked up in there. Now, at that point in Texas, I didn't, they they only had what I think, well, they only had... Was it nine, eight or nine kids at the because time? Because they're so small and tiny, they must have been kept in close quarters so that they didn't grow very big. And malnourished and just underfed. We'll have all the latest on this uh, throughout the show coming up at 1 o'clock as well. Coming up next, what you watching Wednesday on Gary and Shannon. The following program is brought to you in living color. What you watching in there? Americans love television. They wean their kids on it. USA television much better. You've been watching too many of those live television shows. Well, it's What You Watch You Wednesday, and uh, thankfully we find ourselves uh, now firmly ensconced in the next season of The Bachelor. We do? Yes. Wow, stop. Do not... We're not going to vocal fry our way through this. Stop it. (laughs) God, her voice is just the worst thing ever. Uh, And our friend that helps uh, break down the X's and O's of the Bachelor dross is uh, is our own Petros Papadakis. Petros, what do you want me to do on these group dates? Do you want me to just hang back while you talk to Gary or or what? Uh, I think you should be yourself. (laughs) I just don't know whether to be aggressive or not. Right. Well, you know, I think just try your best to be yourself. If it's uh, in your nature to be aggressive, step all over Gary. You know, if you want to hang back and, you know, kind of survey the situation and kind of really scope out the competition, you you can do that as well. Gary, don't sound too excited. That I'm on, and thank you for the uh, X's and O's uh, reference, because I'm too stupid to understand anything. Else. I know, I know. <laughs> hey, uh, I I will admit I did see at least at least the first hour. I don't know why my recording jo- chopped off the rest of it, but that's You're about, lucky. That's about all I could handle. It's a hard day's night, brother, watching Man. this show because this bachelor has nothing to offer except for his lips. He's I'm terrible. You, he's he's he, terrible. He's an empty bag of tissue. But Shannon likes the way he makes out, right? I'm, I'm over it. Mm-mm, I'm over it. <laughs> but you liked it last well, week. Well, this is his only move. It's the only thing he does is he makes out with the with these methodical kisses. There's no, yeah, there's no there there. They are methodical. There, you know? He's got he's got a whole routine down, and it really is Shannon all he has to offer. Yeah, I mean, there's really no there there. And I had an epiphany. The Bachelor provided me with an epiphany. And What's it was, that? Well, is it was when. Annalise got her one-on-one time with uh, Ari, and, uh-huh. and, and she had nothing to say. I mean, she, she there was no, she had literally no words to say. She had nothing interesting to say, no conversation topics. And I thought, is this what we're doing with the texting generation? Like, they don't know how to talk to people anymore because they just send emojis back and well, forth? Well, yes, Shannon, but let's also look at it through the context of the reality of the reality. There's a camera guy, a camera assist, a sound guy, a sound assist, uh, 200 people in the production, a producer that's assigned to you, that's coaching you and trying to tell you how to be, and their craft services. So 
I mean, we're talking about a nerve-wracking situation, so you never really know what people are really like. Most of these people are douchebags because they want this to happen on camera. But let's back up from Annalise, if we, if we can, Shannon, and start out with my favorite and the favorite to win. And by favorite, I think she's the worst. And my favorite to win is her biggest competition, the tennis ball head Becca, the 22-year-old nanny. But here we go with Crystal. Now, you'll hear Crystal whispering. I think uh, she's whispering because she doesn't think the mic is going to pick her up. Uh, and she's talking to another girl who's a contestant, and you'll love this, Gary. She's talking about how hard she works, uh, the hours she works, uh, what a great person she is, how far she thinks uh, she's going to go, and then she just talks about on camera to the producers how this is just going through the motions and uh, she's she's going to dominate this whole thing. She knows by the second episode. I get hated on by girls. And they just get jealous. Like, I remember my friend told me in like eighth grade her boyfriend broke up with her so we could date me. I wouldn't date him because she's my best friend, but she's like, I will never bring a boyfriend around you again. You know, and like, girls are really insecure around me, so like, I'm aware that there's that hair with me. Hmm. I think that's the first, uh, the first sign of mental illness there. The first? Girls are really, uh, are really insecure around me, too. <laughs> I feel it every time we're together, P. Because I look like Shrek. You don't no. look like You are not green. No, girls love Shrek, too. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Shannon, did you have that issue in eighth grade? No. No, I didn't. But I also didn't uh, suffer from extreme narcissism either, so that might have something to do with it. <laughs> this is how bad Crystal sucks. Her brother lives on the street in San Diego and won't go home to her. <laughs> oh, my God. That's terrible, but She's hilarious. Who wants to live with a life coach? You know, that's a really good call. Like, I'd maybe he just. live with Kamala, the Ugandan giant Dude, of the WWF of my childhood. I would rather be on the street than listen to that voice every day. That's well, absolutely honestly. true. And that, and that woman, Crystal, she's setting it up, or I should say the producers are setting it up. She's going to get cut yeah. a little bit later in the season, and she's going to be floored by it. Well, she's, she, she looks pretty good in a dress. She's and by beautiful. dress, I mean something like the belt that Cher wore on the deck of uh, If I Could Turn Back Time video of the aircraft carrier. That's kind of how she dresses every day. Uh, that's, a, that's a great reach back, man. It's amazing how flat Cher's behind is in retrospect when you watch uh, the video. She's oh, I, bouncing around, and there's just nothing back there. That thing plays on a loop in my head. Are you kidding? It was uh, prime man time. Ugh. Sorry. Man is the operative word. Anyway, I was, I was uh, young let's man, move on but... to the clip, uh, yes. the second clip. Now, this is uh, what happens at every single dinner party that I ever go to. I lose control of myself. I don't know what's happening, and I'm all over the place. Unfortunately, there were cameras here for Lauren S. And uh, this guy, I, this guy looked like he was gonna like kill himself with a butter knife uh, sitting there. It, it must have been hours. She didn't stop uh, yapping. It, it, That's why. It, unbelievable. Mm. And uh, here she is. Uh, here she is rambling on on her dinner date with Ari at a, at a Napa vineyard. Your journey to get here. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. It's a story I'm glad to tell. Um, so I've kind of always been a relationship girl. I had a relationship that was really passionate. I have been so blessed with an amazing family, which I do want to talk to you about tonight. It was my senior year in college. Mm -hmm. I um, called my mom on Mother's Day, and she got like a really weird eye infection. It was wow. terrible. It was terrible sitting through that. <laughs>
Holy My hell. mother got a really weird eye infection. I love the, the, the shots that they would take of Ari leaning over and eating his steak while they never she was eat. talking. That's how boring she was. They never yeah. eat on this show. It's the first meal I've seen consumed. And he was he asked for seconds. He's like, hey, can I get another steak? She's still going. It was uh, it was painful. And I would and he, just advise uh, both of you to never have dinner with me. And he, he kicked her off the show at that point. He said that was enough. Well, she knew, too. That's the weird part. It's like in her interview, she was like, you know, I don't do this. I don't know what's happening to me. I can't stop talking. And yet it just continued to happen over and over and over again, like a person going insane. And again, don't ever sit down for a meal with me because I'll ruin it in that way exactly. It was very shameful watching it for me. You know, uh, (laughs) what I think maybe part of the problem was is he didn't offer anything up in terms of conversation, so she just kept going to fill the, the silence? Because he doesn't yeah, have much no, to say. Yeah, he's no partner in no. anything other than making out. He has nothing. Uh, he can't He can't talk. He can't walk straight. No. He can't uh, gesticulate his hands without them flapping around like wild flags trying to sell used cars. I mean, he's a... <laughs> He's a fool. Uh, he's a terrible choice. Why they would reach back into the Bachelor history to pull this guy. Everyone wanted Kenny when Kenny came out. They were yeah. like, that's a man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Kenny's you know, a wrestler. Ari, Ari's good... just a sad sack of a guy. But then Kenny comes out, and he whoops Ari's butt. And uh, everyone, all the girls were like, finally, some testosterone. Speaking of uh, sad sack ex-Bachelor contestants, how about your guy, Nick? He's dating January Jones. Yeah, wait, the most he didn't say, the did we, he did didn't we tell us you? anything about that? Oh, yeah, we told Petrus yeah. about how we saw him in the elevator. But, we, but he, he didn't mention January Jones one time in that whole conversation we had with him. He didn't just offer it up to two no. strangers in an elevator that work on AM radio? Well, strangers. He's <gasps> a friend you? of the show now. How dare you? AM radio. Well, you can tell that guy from me that he sucks. Okay. Well, when we see him again in the elevator for four seconds, we'll go, hey, he says you suck. If he ever comes to the fourth floor, I'm going to light his beard on fire. You were talking about Annalise, who has nothing to say. Well, she was very upset because Ari literally makes out with the, the camera assist guy when he's got nothing. I mean, he, this guy would be perfect for a 1950s kissing booth. He's kissed everybody but this girl, Annalise, and she's going slowly insane because of it. She tries to kiss him like five times. He says, we're not there yet. Basically, meaning I'd kiss a dog before I kiss you. <laughs> and uh, she basically sent herself home. And uh, here's their very awkward goodbye. I think going into the rose ceremony, like, I really hadn't put much thought to it. But now that we're sitting here and talking, like, mm-hmm. and, I'm, and you're asking me, like, directly, yeah. I really don't feel like there could be a future for us. I'm sorry. Sorry. Now you can hit your Dr. Evil trap door and, uh, and send me on my way, Shannon. See you later, P. Yeah, whatever. We'll take a look at the new Gianna Versace story, the assassination of. We'll do that with Jason Nathanson from ABC in just a few minutes. Gary and Shannon, we're going to do a, an update on the... Uh, Blaze Bernstein case, the top of the hour, but we're in the middle of what you're watching Wednesday, talking about some TV offerings. Jason Nathanson joins us now to talk about the new FX series, The Murderer of Gianni Versace. This looks good, Jason. 
Yeah, this is from the people who brought you the O.J. Simpson, the People vs. O.J. Simpson miniseries. This is the second in their American crime story, and they're going to do a bunch of those. Uh, so this is the second one of those. And for people expecting O.J., this is a little different. It's not as good. I've seen eight of the nine episodes. Um, it's not as good as O.J., but that still doesn't mean it's bad. It's still very good. Uh, and I think you're going to learn a lot about what happened. If you remember, Gianni Versace was murdered by Andrew Cunanan in 1997. Uh, Cunanan had gone on a murder spree. He killed four other people before. He ultimately killed Versace and then himself. And this kind of looks at that, what was going on at the time, Cunanan's state of mind, what might have led to the murders. Um, and it's interesting because it goes backwards. It starts with the murder of Versace and then goes backwards through the other murders. And you really get a sense of not just Versace, but the other victims as well. Do you care about it? I mean, do they find a way to make you care about a case that very few people followed, at least as closely as O.J., of course? Yeah, and one of the problems actually with it is it's really about Cunanan. It's, it's not about Versace so much. I mean, he's, he's in it, he's a part of it, and he's definitely the motivating factor. But it's really about this guy and what went on inside his head. And one of the problems is it does humanize a guy who was, you know, a monster pretty much. Um, and it glorifies him a little bit. And I think that people are people already in some of the early reviews have a little bit of a problem with that. But it, Darren Chris, who plays Andrew Cunanan, is fantastic. I mean, he's really, really good. Um, and everything that happened here and what happened, and it, it, it's a lot about he, him being gay and, and people being gay and in the closet and what that does to lives and how it destroys lives and ultimately was part of this whole, wrapped up in this whole thing. Uh, it, it's very, very interesting. Yeah, I think people are fascinated by what goes into the making of a murderer. And you learn a lot about the psychology. Now, we don't know. This is based largely on a book by Maureen Orth, uh, who followed the trial or who followed the original story for Vanity Fair, and then she wrote a book about it. And, and there's a lot of things where, you know, Cunanan is driving in a car with one of the victims, and he has no idea what the two of them were talking about. So they, have, they take dramatic license with a lot of it, and they make a lot of it up. And the Versace family is not happy with most of it. They call uh, Maureen Orth's book, Vulgar Favors, a work of fiction. Um, and they're, they're, I think, particularly unhappy with the, the miniseries shows or, or implies or basically outright says that Versace was HIV positive. Um, something that the family has never really talked about. Um, and the, so they're not happy with that. They say, uh, I think they said that it was based on rumors and conjecture. But Maureen Orth, who came and talked to a bunch of us uh, last week at the Television Critics Association press tour, said she stands by her reporting. Everything in there is double and triple sourced. Um, and she says she has the story cold. Well, you mentioned Darren Chris, probably most recognizable from Glee. But you got some other big faces in there, at least. Ricky Martin and Penelope Cruz are in this. Yeah, Penelope Cruz plays Donatella Versace. Uh, she's in it, you know, a, a fair amount. But, I mean, it's, she's really not the star of this show by any means. Uh, but she's in it a little bit, playing Donatella Versace. You know, it's very recognizable with the blonde hair um, and the accent. Ricky Martin plays Gianni Versace's longtime boyfriend. Uh, and, and he's really good. And Edgar Ramirez plays Gianni Versace as well. Um, and, and that's part of the, you know, if you're not, if you really want a lot of Versace, you're not going to get a lot of Versace here. Uh, so know that going in. Uh, it's also, I got to watch um, eight of the nine episodes, and I, I, I watched them. I basically was able to binge them, uh, which I really enjoyed. Because of the way the timeline goes and it goes backwards, it's a little bit confusing. So if you're waiting week by week to watch it, 
you might get you might not remember what happened and get a little lost. So if you're somebody who likes to save things up and then binge them later, this would be a perfect thing for that. I right. do love doing that. <laughs> Squirreling nuts away for the long cold winter. You seem like a nut. I am. I am, Jay Nut. Thank you so much. Good stuff. <laughs> Appreciate your time. So thanks. And again, that uh, that starts tonight. Assassination of Gianna Versace, American Crime Story, starts at 10 o'clock tonight on FX. Uh, nine episodes. First one is tonight. 7 o'clock hour time. Oh, it is on at 7 also? Yes. Okay, great. Good for you. All right. I mean, good for them. Coming up next, the better. latest in the Blaze Bernstein murder investigation. Talk about being closeted and how it can destroy lives. Seems like that may be what happened here. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. Well, it looks like Steve Bannon will be doing an interview for the Mueller investigation, uh, avoiding grand jury. We'll be talking about that coming up in the next hour for Swamp Watch. Also, the fake news awards. They had been rescheduled until today. There was a... uh, White House Deputy Press Secretary who said, yeah, I don't want to get out in front of this, but we will have an announcement about that soon. So I don't know if that's going to push it back or if they're just going to issue a statement or what, but I know a lot of people have been waiting for those fake news awards. To Orange County we go, where DA Tony Rakakis announced today that they have charged that guy, that friend of Blaze Bernstein, with murder. Andrew Mullenbeck is on the story, joins us now. Andrew, what's the latest? Yeah, so far, just the murder charge. Other charges could be coming as well. Uh, Not much new came out of the charging documents or the news conference at the DA's office. Uh, But here are some of the interesting tidbits that we did get. Prosecutors say Samuel Woodward cleaned out his car after the murder, trying to cover up whatever evidence was in there. And they also say that Woodward returned to the park after Bernstein's body had been buried. They wouldn't go into that if he was trying to bury it further or do anything else in the park. They're they're kind of staying quiet about that. But they did say, excuse me, that he went back to the park. And at this time, he was under some surveillance. So that may have played a part in investigators really looking into his role in the murder. Of course, the big question in the last few days has been what kind of relationship these two high school classmates had or when they were in high school. And D.A. Tony Rakakis says prosecutors are looking into special circumstances in the murder. The uh, uh, question of a hate crime is uh, one question that we have about the possibility of special circumstances. And uh, uh, so we're looking to see whether or not that might be supported. So he's not ruling it out at this point. He says it is possible that there could be some hate crime consideration. But he's also at the same time saying we don't have that yet. There's no evidence that they've gotten so far to indicate that this was some sort of hate crime uh, rage involving uh, whatever relationship these two had. Now, is this guy going to show up in court today? It's my understanding he's supposed to appear sometime after 1.30 this afternoon. Uh, and, you know, sometimes these things get continued. Uh, I have no indication at the moment that he would not appear. Uh, one of the other issues is what the bail is going to be set at. At the moment, it's a million dollars, and prosecutors say they really want that number to go up, but uh, there would be a possibility at this bail hearing that uh, the suspected killer could post and, and get out. 
What would what do we know about the interaction between those two right before Blaze Bernstein died? I read something about DNA evidence recovered from a sleeping bag. Yeah, blood in a sleeping bag. But as far as their interaction before, it was the timeline that we've been presented with so far really starts just January 2nd and some Snapchat messages back and forth. Uh, Apart from that, uh, prosecutors and investigators haven't given us any timeline uh, further back if this had been a conversation or if they'd been planning to meet, but it was January 2nd when they communicated on Snapchat. And again, Rikakis says that prosecutors don't know really what led to ultimately the stabbing death murder. As far as motive is concerned, um, we, we, we haven't completed the investigation, so we have a ways to go before we can uh, actually uh, determine so- something about motive that would be supported by, by the evidence. So really, the, the first and second cuts that I played there kind of go together, motive and the question of whether this had anything to do with a hate crime. Uh, and, and that could present additional charges and uh, certainly a sentencing enhancement if prosecutors allege that, but at the moment, it's just that murder charge. The family wasn't there today. Were they at the... Uh, at no, not at the news conference, but it is possible that the family will be at the, the hearing later this afternoon. And the idea uh, of the potential for hate crime charges, what what would they have to prove in order to add that as uh, as a enhancement here? Well, one of the interviews that Woodward allegedly gave to investigators was that he admitted to using a racial slur after he says, excuse me, not a racial slur, uh, a gay slur, uh, after he says Bernstein kissed him the night they were together, and then he kind of pushed him back and and didn't want that advance, Uh, but he admitted to using that term. Uh, So that would be one thing they look into, uh, but it could well be some of the messages that went back and forth as well. And of course, talking with other people who knew Woodward, uh, was there some belief system that he had or some a grievance that he had uh, that might lead them to believe that uh, that led him to stab Blaze Bernstein? Andrew, thank you. Appreciate it. You got it. Andrew Mullen back there. Well, listen, this was a guy that went to Blaze Bernstein's house, picked up Blaze and took him to the house. He wasn't forced into any of that. It seems like once it turned physical, maybe he was fighting against is obviously speculation, but maybe he was fighting against the fact that he uh, liked men. He had the feelings. Uh, he had the feelings and he didn't like it. Uh, Blaze acted on what he thought was uh, was a mutual romantic feeling. And uh, that's when it got violent. We also don't know the conversation that took place. Uh, what if they did have some sort of a consensual relation, physical relationship that night? And that's where the sleeping bag comes in, I think. Well, and then Blaze says something like, hey, I've told other people about you or right. I told because there are text messages that, that Blaze had with other friends about this guy and about, about him not wanting to go public with this. Right. And but that, that Blaze wanted to, to get together with him. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of different stuff that comes out. And the unfortunate part about it for investigators is they're dealing with months old text messages between blaze and other friends and they're dealing with this guy's own words about his description about what happened that night so uh you know a first or second degree murder might have to be then sort of i don't know watered down to a a manslaughter uh just based on what this guy says happened Coming up next, well, we are going to be giving away $1,000, so that's exciting. Also, there was a protest you may not have heard about over the weekend. It was a protest at 
the California State Psych Hospital. It was the inmates protesting. What were they protesting over, Shannon? Well, it seems like the hospital was cracking down on the devices that these sexually violent predators had had. You're asking devices. Yeah, apparently there's a rampant porn problem amongst sexually violent predators in our state hospital system. Isn't that lovely? Great. Gary and Shannon will continue. I'll give you Gary and Shannon, given you the possibility to win $1,000. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword BILLS to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's BILLS to 200-200. And don't forget, you got to answer that phone. Uh, the call, if you win, will be from a number that you don't necessarily recognize. And if you don't pick up, they can't get a hold of you. They'll move on to somebody else and give them $1,000. But um, you'll have another chance an hour from now. And then an hour after that, in fact, all day through 6.20 tonight on the Conway Show, we're giving away $1,000 an hour. Well, the people who work at the California State Psychiatric Hospital in Kalinga decided to crack down on devices like flash drives that the inmates have been using to pass around porn, child porn. Turns out there's a bit of a child porn epidemic at the state psychiatric hospital. What? You don't say. You're asking yourself, self, self, who lives in the state psychiatric hospital? In the state psychiatric hospital. Excellent question. Mostly sexually violent predators. That is where they are held. And apparently they're passing around flash drives filled with child porn. Who's paying for this? We are. What? The patients did not like this crackdown. They felt like it was violating their rights. So they decided to protest the new restrictions. They didn't like the fact that they are no longer allowed to have flash drives. Yeah, they protested over the weekend. Now, this, I don't, I know this is going to be crazy for you. I shouldn't use that word. I know this is going to seem unusual for you, but I don't know anybody in Colinga right now. I don't know anybody in the state hospital. But what they did was they broke windows, they damaged message boards, they clogged toilets, they uh, showed disruptive behavior in the form of refusing to follow directions, disrupting patient headcounts, threats, and property damage. Now, the reaction on behalf of state psychiatric officials was, fine, you guys want to do this? Here's what we're going to do. No electronic devices, no phones. And no visitors over the weekends like are usually allowed until we figure out exactly how we're going to handle this. L.A.-based attorney Ezra Landis represented Koalinga patients in a class action lawsuit saying that there were poor conditions there. Said he was concerned that these the telephones were shut down or confiscated and that the detainees were unable to consult with their lawyers. Well, that's just too damn bad. Maybe they shouldn't have been passing around all the child porn. Listen to this. There's a there's a woman, Janice Belushi. She runs the Alliance for Constitutional Sex Offense Laws. A 
and she has a problem with these restrictions. Of course she does. She takes up uh, she takes up sex offenders, and she, I, you know, I I feel like we've talked to her. I we've talked re- about her before. I know we've talked about her before because I remember the name. Because it's just bizarre to us that there would be somebody that would uh, make a life out of sticking up for child pornographers. And remember, I mean, there are other opportunities for you to have a good heart for things. Absolutely. You, you could even say you could be like a um, work for the Innocent Project. You, you, you know, could, you could save rattlesnakes if you want to. I mean, they're a valued part of our ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Sexually violent predators who uh, who communicate via child porn and use it as a barter system behind bars and don't let you, uh, you know, listen, uh, state psychiatric hospital is basically behind bars. Why are you why are you carving out hours of your day to fight on their behalf? Yeah, it's not like they are being uh, made to wear pink underwear or something like Arpaio's crazy prison rules. They're just being told that they can't pass around flash drives which contain child pornography on them. And that's the cause? That's your soapbox that you're going to stand up on? I mean, it's, it's one thing to be a true believer and to be a public defender or whatever and believe that there are certain people who are unfairly put in the system through no fault of their own, whether it be poverty or, or what have you, and, and, and wanting to to mount a very good defense for, for people who you feel have been disenfranchised. But this is beyond my understanding of, well, be- of how one could operate. And because because I think your your point is that in some of those cases, people are disenfranchised. They find themselves on the wrong sides of society for whatever reason, because they had bad parents, because their situation is bad, because they've fallen on hard times, because of... Uh, uh, they came from a bad neighborhood, whatever it was, that they feel like they need to have a defense. They want to. They want a fresh start. They want to start over, and they want to have the opportunity in the legal system to do so. Sexually violent predators don't fall under those categories. They're not in the position they're in because of some societal thing. They're in the position they're in because their brain is broken, and and trying to defend somebody or argue on their behalf because their brain is broken in a, in a way that puts all of us at risk doesn't make a whole lot of sense i i don't this is one of those slivers of society that i just don't understand i just can't wrap my head around why janice does this uh, why she's fighting on behalf of what appears to be sexually violent predators and not and their, even and their not even to defend to, them. It's just their yeah, their freedom to have flash drives with child porn on them in in, in prison or in in the psych hospital. Just it's okay. I guess everybody's got a thing. I mean, she should be living in the freaking psych hospital. She wants to p- pitch a tent out in the uh, yard there. I'm sure that they would have her. Coming up next, this was a bizarre one. L.A. County Sheriff's deputy charged with selling drugs, offering to hire other cops to protect dealers and drug transactions. Sounds like a good business. Well, you know, there's good cops and bad cops. There's good air traffic controllers and bad air traffic controllers. Gary and Shannon will continue. Because we're going to be
Deputy Kenneth Collins arrived to what he thought was going to be a drug deal. He was going to help facilitate yesterday, yesterday morning, and was met by the FBI. That's just got to be a... It's got to suck. That's got to be a gut punch. I've never witnessed that in person. I mean, you only see them on TV and in movies, but that's just... This is why you don't operate a large-scale drug trafficking scheme. Look at you being all judgy. I mean, you're right. That's probably the logical way to avoid uh, FBI sting operations is to not be involved in um, drug trafficking. But this this guy was uh, bragging that he had hired other law enforcement officers to provide security to dealers and that he could assault people for his clients. Interesting. So he's a sworn deputy here. L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Got a nice little pension lined up, you know. Put some years in with the department, nice little life that you carve out for yourself and your family. And it wasn't enough. Wants to earn a little extra cash. So why not? I'd watch this movie, wouldn't you? Uh, Have I watched this movie? I was going to say, I I think we've seen this movie. Is this training day? No, not necessarily. I mean, I know there was a lot of drug trafficking. There was just kind of looking the other way when drugs were going on. Um, But the thing is, they had agreed to this... This new version of this, this uh, the latest transport plan set for yesterday, after the FBI had already been dealing with this guy, um, he showed up to a meeting to talk about the security plan for a marijuana grow house and talked to this undercover FBI agent about what he was willing to do. He could provide security. He had he had three teams of guys already working security around drug operations in the area, including one that was protecting a different illegal grow house design, uh, disguised as an auto repair shop. So he shows the guy, the FBI agent, he shows him his uh, sheriff's badge, lifts his shirt, shows him his gun to prove that, in fact, he was who he said he was. And sells him two pounds, sells the FBI agent, two pounds of marijuana for six grand as a sort of a gesture of good faith, perhaps, to demonstrate his ability to, first of all, come up with two pounds of pot, but also to carry out the deal. He told this agent that he had connections to marijuana operations in Northern California and could sell the agent four million dollars in marijuana each month. Holy hell. That's a lot. You know what it sounds like? Hmm. It sounds like uh, Breaking Bad. Just that trying to provide as much product as you can in order to generate the cash that you can. So what they do is they develop a security team that is then going to provide security while they drive several pounds of meth from Pasadena to Vegas. And this guy says, listen. I know we're expensive, but we're cops. We're worth it. Right. We deal with a lot of high-end clients. 25 grand is a big deal, but we guarantee that you get your shipment from here to there. And they can make profits of upwards of $5 million. So a price tag for security should be nothing compared to what it is that you stand to gain when you sell your product on the streets of Vegas. What a good idea. Well, and If you're a cop. How... How extensive would you I think? I mean, bad idea, good idea. <laughs> I would have thought originally that it, that would just meant that the cops would drive this stuff. On an off day, they'd make the four-hour, four-and-a-half-hour trip to Vegas and back or whatever. Yeah. It gets much more extensive than that. 
Um, one of the other guys who's charged in this case drove a lookout car. Another one rode with the other cover, undercover agent in the vehicle that had the drugs and cash in it. And a third was in yet another car keeping an eye on the back. By the way, the meth that was car- that was carried, not real meth. Hmm. But in exchange for as much as a quarter million dollars, they were going to do a huge transport. They were talking about uh, 20 kilos of coke, 6 kilos of meth, and cash. But he said, hey, why don't we do this? The deputy says, why don't we just fill up an entire moving truck? That way you guys get all kinds of product where you need it, and we get a bigger payout in the form of a quarter million dollars. That plan was supposed to take place yesterday. That's when they got arrested by the FBI. This guy, Kenneth Collins, 15-year veteran of the of the department, 50 years old, got a picture of him. Uh, KTLA had a picture of him when he uh, is teaching ex-offenders at the LASD's Emerging Leaders Program in La Puente back in 2014. Wow. Uh, Hell of a racket. That is incredible. While he was there, this Emerging Leaders Academy, um, deputies will act as mentors for the guys who are getting out and want to get back into uh, society and stay out of prison. He's featured in an article, and he was quoted as saying he grew up poor before he joined the military and later went into the sheriff's department. And in the cognitive behavior program he went through to be able to teach forced him to change his perception of himself from that of a hardcore deputy... He said, I was so used to putting my foot on their neck. This was kind of foreign to me. It goes against what we do, our profession. So I don't know if he uh, then caught up with some of those guys that he was teaching and may have been involved with them in the, what do you call it, extracurricular activities that he was involved with outside of the sheriff's department. Um, hey, here's a question a lot of people have had about the new laws uh, when it comes to recreational pot in California. What about those people who have previous pot convictions back when it up was illegal what can they do about it and chances are they can probably get their record cleaned of any pot violations we'll tell you how to get rid of your convictions when we come back <laughs> gary and shannon kfi am 640 Gary and Shannon, we will have all the latest coming up at 1 o'clock about everything we know that went on inside that Paris home where those 13 kids, some of them adults, were held captive there in Paris. Also, Steve Bannon looks like he's going to sit down with the Mueller team, answer some questions. The first inner circle member. I guess the president's inner circle member to sit down for the special counsel. Well, one of the uh, one of the issues that comes up when we talk about California's recreational pot laws is that there is a part of Prop 64 that allows you, if you have been convicted of marijuana um, violations that are that would now be legal, you have an opportunity to apply to get your records completely changed. 
if you had a charge that would have either been a misdemeanor under Prop 64 or completely legal under 64, you have the right to go back to that court, whatever sentenced you, to petition to have your record changed. And a lot of people are still unaware of it. They're saying that as of January 1st, the state received fewer than 5,000 court petitions for resentencing or reclassification. And this is not just a uh, this is not just a feel good thing in terms of changing your your criminal record. A lot of times it's a roadblock. If you have a felony that would be reduced to a misdemeanor under this law, that felony may be keeping you from getting a good job, maybe keeping you from voting. You're Tom Locke Fenta. I'm what? You're Tom Locke Fenta is one of those guys. Oh, I see. He's from Compton, originally from St. Louis. Vice did an article about him, hit a rough patch about a decade ago after being arrested for the sale and transportation of pot. It's a, he says that this fell just below the threshold of trafficking in terms of severity. The conviction has continued to define his life. Uh, he once landed acting gigs while building a career in entertainment, but now he's stuck with manual labor jobs and he's getting older. And that's not easy to do as you get older. He says he's only can do uh, minimum wage jobs. So he's very anxious about this. And they admit that part of the problem, California's Bureau of Cannabis Control understands that part of the problem is the focus, the main focus of all of the news coverage, of all of the state's efforts have been licensing recreational marijuana shops and uh, figuring out all of the regulations. So when it comes to the education and the outreach issue for telling people that they can expunge their records, it first of all, it doesn't fall to any one group in state government. It's just basically, for the most part, a bunch of pro bono lawyers who are out there who are excited to to help out. They just got to figure out the best way to do it. So they're relying on social media. They're relying on community partners on what they're calling expungement fairs and at an event like that uh, an attorney a paralegal will help you with your criminal history and try to figure out the web of paperwork that it takes to get through before you can have your your record changed maywood is the scene of the newest local recreational marijuana dispensary Yesterday it opened, people stood in long lines, snaked around the building into a nearby parking lot. In that parking lot, by the way, was a taco truck. What better to have outside a recreational pot dispensary than tacos? Tacos are delicious. Would you stand in line? I haven't had tacos in so long. I haven't had good taco in a while. It's probably been like a month. Would you stand in line, though? For a taco? No, for pot. Probably not. I'm just... This place I've, is I called the, the pictures that I saw from January second. The two shops at, uh, in West Hollywood that opened up, the only ones in LA County, and the lines of people. I made unfortunate and bad characterizations of those people simply based on their looks. I don't mind admitting that. Maybe you would be less judgy if you didn't spend if I was your. High. Yeah, yeah. A. If you were high. B. If you didn't spend your evenings watching TLC. I could spend my evenings you know, you could spend high your, watching TLC. You could do that. Or you could spend your evenings watching television of, like, everyday people, you know. Like what? Like, this is us. 
That's not everyday people. Yes, it's not, it is. Also, not reality. What do you mean it's not everyday people? That's why the show's so good. It's exactly everybody's family. The show Doctor Pimple Popper is a true look at people who are suffering from conditions that are ignored by normal people. I just feel like ever since you went down this TLC hole, spending hours watching their programming every night, you come to work with a permanent face like this. Yeah, because the lady's legs wouldn't stop growing. And that other lady's baby's head wouldn't stop growing. These are serious things. Now, imagine if I was high when I was watching that. Kent Via is one of the people that stood in line that you profiled. He's 23 years old, and he got in line with his brother at 8 a.m. yesterday to be one of the first people to get into the store. They live down the street, and they're excited to see the tax money from the sales go towards building playgrounds for kids in the community, well, getting the, the YMCA open. Why don't they just give money to the YMCA? Because they want pot. I know, but... This way, it's a it's a uh, you don't have to you don't have win to, win. But don't couch it in the I'm so excited that my tax revenue is going to be used for municipal purposes. Just say I want to get high, man. Hey, did you ever get high and go to the boat show? No. Doesn't that sound like a fun afternoon? <laughs> no. Well, we've got a family four pack of tickets. And you have to, to the L.A. Your, boat show. Your own pot, right? Yeah, yeah. This doesn't come with pot. Got it. This will be at the Fairplex in Pomona, January 18th through the 21st, uh, Thursday noon to 8, Friday and Saturday 10 a.m. to 8 p.m., Sunday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. The, the newest models, latest marine gear, tech gadgets, accessories, anything and everything a boater needs. So how do you get tickets? <laughs> LosAngelesBoatShow.com, or, Slurry McSlur said. Sorry. And uh, you could also call right now. Be caller number, what do you want to do? Let's do caller number six. All right. Caller number six. Yeah. You want to give the number? Oh, 1-800-520-1534, 800-520-1KFI. Yes. God call. bless the United States. Thank you very much. You need water? 1-800-520-1KFI. Caller number six. Going to win a four-pack of tickets to the L.A. Boat Show. Coming up next, everything everyone's talking about everywhere. We'll get you caught up on Gary and Shannon. Gary Shannon, bottom of this hour, we gonna get into we gonna we are gonna get into Swamp Watch. Uh, a bunch going on, including Steve Bannon saying that he will now talk to the special counsel's team after some sort of a deal has been worked out. Uh, get into whether or not the president is gonna hand out fake news awards. He has said that he was changed the date to today, but White House doesn't appear too sure. At least the uh, the press office hasn't been very clear on whether or not it's actually gonna happen. Also, at the beginning of next hour, the update on that house in Paris where 13 children were held captive, adult children uh, in a couple of cases. And we now know that there were no police calls, no child welfare calls to that house, at least in the time that they were living there. And some bizarre tales from neighbors from the past about what they saw these kids doing inside the homes. But... Have it. But time for what's happening. It's weird. It sounded like the microphones were cutting out there for a second. They've got a problem in Montecito. They've got thousands of tons of mud. Let me repeat that. Thousands of tons of mud 
and where to? What are they going to do with it? That's weird. I mean, uh, I show. I think I showed you that map uh, from the Independent in Santa Barbara that was a sort of an interactive map that located every single one of the homes that was impacted by the mudslides. Yes. Just insanity. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of homes that were hit by this thing. They've discarded about 3,500 tons at the Ventura County Fairgrounds, where it'll be stored temporarily until crews can sort through it. I think they're... Mm, what? The gruesome part of that? Yeah. There's still three missing people. And there is a chance, I think the reason they're doing that is there's a chance that those three people may be in the mud that they're clearing out of the freeway. Well, and remember, with that mudslide up there in Washington State a couple years ago, they didn't find the last body until four months later. Um, so getting from Santa Barbara to Ventura has been difficult. We told you about the ferry services that have been um, that have been used. Uh, rail has been up and running, and Amtrak had to add cars to just get the normal commuters, more normal commuters back and forth between the two. There have been pilots that have been volunteering to fly people back and forth. And now buses are running around the 101 closure. But they're saying that to, to 17 buses transporting more than 400 people in both, both directions. And they're being escorted by the CHP. But to be eligible for that specific bus service, you have to have a position that's critical to the health and safety of the community. So you've got... Um, Police officers, firefighters, doctors, nurses, teachers, that sort of a thing. And they have to be designated for the service by the agency that they work with. And they would have been notified uh, this week to to get those rides. More bad news. Rain expected later this week, which is going to cause problems for cleanup crews. Also, officials are trying to figure out what it means for a landscape that's already been massively altered in the last months for more precipitation. All right, the uh, bullet train worst-case scenario has happened. Those are not my words. Those are the words of Roy Hill, the guy who leads the main consulting firm on the project that is trying to build a section in the Central Valley. The first section of the high-speed rail between L.A. and uh, San Francisco was supposed to be built in an area that was easy, okay? So the... $6 billion plan, original plan for the first section, has now jumped up to $10.6 billion. 77% increase, I think it is. I don't know why we're still wasting time on on this idea. Well, look at this. I didn't even realize they have a picture in the LA Times of the viaduct that's being built uh, over State Route 99 and North and Cedar Avenues in Fresno County. That's going to sit there. There will never be a train on that viaduct. Ever. But people still are pouring billions of dollars. You want to know you want to know an indicator that this thing is never going anywhere? Here's my indicator. Gavin Newsom, who has a great shot at becoming the next governor of the state of California, refuses to talk about the bullet train. For two years, he has not given one interview on this giant piece of crap project that Governor Brown wants to do. For two years. Years, he has not given an interview on the subject, and he may be the one that takes over the whole thing. The CIA is trending because you'll see a story about Chinese informants in the news. It started about two years ago. The CIA began losing its informants in China, and investigators began to wonder, wait a minute, how come so many names of so many CIA sources have been ending up in Chinese hands? Well... 
That's because it was an inside job. A former CIA officer has been arrested by the Justice Department. Looks like he was eroding whatever spy operations they had going on in China. Yeah, just piece by piece. They said that they knew that this guy had been uh, under uh, uncovering the names of people who were supposed to be undercover for our spy system there in China. One of the saddest stories of the day, Washington State quarterback Tyler Helinski found dead, uh, 21 years old. Looks like a suicide. Looked like he uh, shot himself. There was a gunshot wound to the head, a rifle nearby, and a suicide note. There was an interesting uh, version of this story, and I'm not sure the details specifically, but the coach and uh, other players for Washington State figured out that Tyler Denver showed up to practice yesterday. And they were the police officers for Washington State University showed up to his apartment to do a, a welfare check. If your buddy never showed up to practice, would you call the cops immediately? There, there had to have no, been signs. No, you'd send somebody. Yeah, you'd send a player or a coach or whatever. That's too bad. I mean, I don't know what the protocol player. is, but that seems odd. Yeah. Uh, Ann Curry has been speaking out. She uh, appeared on CBS News Morning Show today accusing Matt Lauer and NBC management of fostering a pervasive climate of verbal sexual harassment while she was there for 15 years, while she was at NBC. She was fired, if you remember, I think uh, five, six years ago. And even though uh, she kind of pointed fingers at Matt Lauer for having some hand in it, he has denied involvement in any of her firing. She said, I can tell you, I'm not surprised by the allegations of sexual misconduct against Matt Lauer. And Gail King was asking her, by the way, Oprah friend, Gail King, uh, you heard things, you knew things. What does that mean? And she began to answer, and she says, now I'm walking down that road. I'm trying not to hurt people. I know what it's like to be publicly humiliated, what she said. Betty White is trending for a good reason. She turns 96 today. What does she owe this fountain of youth? (laughs) To whom or to what? Mm. Vodka and hot dogs. I could could do that. We've got to be a Dodger dog, though. She She was first married in 1945. Wow, that, that's when my dad was born. 45. <laughs> I can't imagine how many kids and grandkids and great-grandkids that she's got already. But incredible. She Her last marriage, the last time she was married was 1981. She was married to Alan Ludden, and that was, uh, I guess that's when she divorced, actually, Alan Ludden. So. A recent study found that adults who were moderate drinkers were more than 20% less likely to die early of any cause. Moderate drinkers. That's important. Moderate. So if you only drink Chardonnay three days a week? Exactly. Very moderate. Does this mean I'm going to live to be 96? You might want to pick it back up again. Yeah. Gary and Shannon will continue. (laughs) We'll talk about how Walmart is offering ways to turn over leftover opioids into, into gels, but also accidental deaths. Now number three on the list for causes of death in the United States. We'll talk about that next and give away $1,000. For a second, I have an apology to oh make. Oh my gosh, apparently. we I've, haven't gotten this much feedback. I have offended the sensibilities of everyone in the world. I will have to explain what I said after we tell you how you can win a thousand dollars. Your shot at one thousand dollars now. 
Text the keyword money to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's money to 200-200. Don't forget, uh, answer the phone. If uh, if you win, they're going to give you a call. But uh, if you don't answer the phone, they'll move on to somebody else and give it to somebody else. And we'll give away $1,000 an hour uh, through 620 tonight. Now, let me explain. I didn't realize, and apparently this was the worst thing not to realize in the world. Yes. Alan Ludden passed away. That's what ended the marriage to Betty White. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was 1981. I was eight years old. I know that I didn't know that Alan Ludden died. She never had any kids either. Well, she had. Step- Alan had kids. She had stepchildren yeah. with Alan. Yeah. Stop I mean, sending me emails. Yeah, I'm sorry. We've gotten a lot. And, and Betty, if you're listening, I apologize. I never meant to insinuate that the marriage with Alan didn't work out. I just said the last time you were married was 1981. People got upset with that. All right. Do you hear what Walmart's offering? It's helping people get rid of leftover opioids by giving them packets uh, that turn the painkillers into like a gel that you can throw out. It's like a powder that you that you pour into the prescription bottle. You put a little warm water in there and it turns the pills into something that's biodegradable. Yeah, one of the problems we've talked about this opioid crisis in the United States is that the people simply have pills left over and other people steal them or kids get into them. And we now know that accidental deaths in the United States have risen significantly the last couple of years. uh, Ryan Burrow is joining us to talk more about this story. And now these accidental deaths, the third leading cause of fatalities for the first time since we were riding horses around this country. Yeah, how about that? Trailing only heart disease and cancer, which, by the way, stomach cancer was what killed Alan Ludden. So there you go. That was uh, nice connection. I appreciate wow. that. <laughs> you see, you see what I do here for you. And that wasn't um, from the divorce papers, right? I mean, no, that, oh, no, oh, right. no, it wasn't. That may have been accidental, but no. Uh, as far as accidents, this is what the National Safety Council considers accidental. These are essentially human errors: a drug overdose, motor vehicle crash, a fall, a drowning, a choking incident, or some other kind of preventable. Uh, incident that occurs. Uh, we're up 10% from last year, and a big part of these numbers, 161,000 accidental deaths, uh, the result of drug overdoses, a lot of them the result of opioid uses. In fact, that accounts for about 23% of these accidental deaths. So no big surprise, as the number of opioid deaths continues to increase, uh, not just in California, but across the country, um, you know, we're seeing the, the number of these so-called accidental deaths increase as well. And I want to point out, too, uh, we seen this happen over the last year's economy is getting better a lot more people traveling a lot more people buying cars and we're seeing a lot more uh, vehicular deaths uh, that was up nearly seven percent last year compared to uh, 2016 is there an area of the country where this is uh, more prevalent these uh, accidental de- deaths no, it doesn't break that out it just basically takes everyone's uh, data and puts it all together and into these categories it's still difficult to swallow in terms of how quickly this is going up. I'm, well, make sure to chew well, because choking incident is one of the uh, ones on that accidental deaths list. <laughs> see, I see how you did that. Yeah, thank I you. See what you did there. I'm on a roll today, let me I tell guess. you. I <laughs> guess. Nobody knew who Alan Ludden was. Uh, but, but when it comes to opioid pain relievers, heroin, fentanyl, things like that, 
we're talking about 30, what is it, 37,000, I think, in terms of the unintentional, specifically opioid overdose deaths. That still seems ridiculously high. Absolutely. Yeah, 37,814 from drugs, including prescription, opioid, pain relievers, heroin, and uh, certain fentanyls. And you brought up a great point in that story about the Walmart, because, um, you know, one of the things that a lot of prosecutors are saying is uh, people are getting hooked on these opioids when they're prescribed them. And after, you know, the pain goes away or after the surgery, when you no longer need the drugs, they're still using them or they're heading out to the black market and finding cheaper versions of it like heroin. And so what we're seeing is a lot of uh, attorneys general, say, in in Ohio, in Illinois, where I'm at, they're now going after these opioid makers uh, saying, hey, look, you're getting these people hooked on this. And um, Walmart's hoping that uh, at least this is one way of preventing uh, that addiction from happening. If people don't want to use them, they won't feel tempted if it's in the back of the medicine cabinet. Ryan, thank you. Appreciate it. Take care. Ryan yeah, Burrow it's just, uh, you know, you don't try heroin because it's heroin, right? But they say heroin gets you your first time. And you don't try heroin because you don't want to freaking shoot up with, with a needle, right? Uh, but when your doctor prescribes a pill, there's no taboo with that. There's no, you know, and the- stigma attached to taking something your doctor ordered. And I got to recount the story from one of my girlfriends who said, and she's not. She doesn't take drugs. I mean, she smoked a little pot while we were younger, but that's it. She's not a. She doesn't. She's not into drugs. And she said she was prescribed these things for something a couple of years ago. She took one. So it was an amazing feeling. And then she didn't need them anymore. But she kept thinking about them, where they were in the medicine cabinet. She was like fixated on it instantly after taking one, and she was in pain. And she was not into drugs. And it, and it was just one of those things where she, she had to get rid of them because she was started to fixate on it. It was like instantly addicted. Well, this is almost, pardon the, I'm not being lighthearted about it. There's almost a Betty White, Alan Ludden story here where we talk about it. We talk about the problems associated with the opioid crisis and the problems with addiction and the overdoses that come therefrom. There are still people who can take hydrocodone or oxycodone, whatever they're taking, and not be addicted to it. And it can help them live a life despite the fact that they're in constant pain. So, there, so yes, there are people where this obviously helps. It's not as if opioids only come with a negative side. There is a positive aspect to it. But the problem is the negative side of it continues to grow. And even those that small percentage of the population that can take painkillers, that can fi- you know finish their uh, prescription and be done with it and never have to worry about it again – there's a huge number of people who this affects uh, negatively, unfortunately, to the point of death. So there's that. Coming up next, we'll dive into Swamp Watch. Alan Ludden died from stomach cancer in 1981. I didn't know people had such vast Alan Ludden uh, knowledge. I guess it's just that we're, we were too young then. To, I, I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, I was I was uh, a year old when Alan Ludden died, but I feel like it's one of those things I should have knowledge of, even though it happened before my time. Yes, we struck out on that one. Yep. Gary and Shannon, we'll continue. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. Gary and Shannon on a Wednesday, January 17th. Get into Swamp Watch here in a second. Talk about uh, some political stuff. 
But at the top of next hour, we're going to get back into that story out of uh, San Bernardino County. Those 13 kids from one family, some of them adult children that had been chained to furniture. And police and child welfare officials said that they didn't receive any calls to that house in the time that the family was there. So we'll we'll talk more about that. A quick update on that, too. Remember, this was a house that was doubling as a uh, private school, a home school. And while the state education officials don't need to inspect that, they are supposed to go through yearly inspections by the fire marshal. Make sure that the, the place isn't violating any sort of fire codes And the Associated Press did a public records request to find out if there were any required annual inspections or or were any annual inspections which are required at this home. And they found no records that the fire department had done that. Well, one of the big deals uh, going on today in Washington is that Steve Bannon has apparently decided that he has worked out a deal with Robert Mueller, uh, the special counsel, and will be talking about what went on in the White House and uh, leading up to the president taking office. The source, according to Axios, has a source that says the White House didn't place any restrictions on Steve Bannon talking to Bob Mueller. Uh, The quote was, he can say whatever the hell he wants to say to him about whatever topic that he wants. That contrasts with his uh, withholding of information from Congress. Bannon's lawyer apparently told the staff of the House Intelligence Committee that the White House was unlikely to allow him to talk about his work in the transition and during the West Wing. There is that's also one of the issues is whether or not people who worked in the White House do have executive privilege. The grounds. Yeah, exactly. Executive privilege. Um, But White House lawyers say that executive privilege would not be waived by talking to Mueller because he's within the executive branch. Interesting. Interesting. Um, you remember we talked about this. Mueller subpoenaed Steve Bannon last week to testify before a grand ju- jury, but this is the first time. Uh, this is the first time he used that tactic, Bob Mueller. And I said yesterday, I think it was just a poker move. He could allow Steve Bannon. He could allow that grand jury process to go through. And he's under oath. He's got to say things specifically. He's going to have a lawyer with him, etc. But in fact. Bob, Bob Mueller now got Steve Bannon to say, well, I'll just come in and talk to you instead of going around the uh, going to the grand jury. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see what goes on. This has been an interesting point of contention, or I don't know if that's right, a point of union between the Democrats and Republicans who are on that House Intelligence Committee. They're pissed off that Steve Bannon won't talk to them. And they, they, they are uh, singing the same song now on both sides of the aisle there. That Stormy Daniels story isn't going away. <laughs> it continues to make the rounds and get bigger. She's doing interviews right now saying that she um, she did have uh, sex with the president, that he cheated on Melania with her, that their sex was, uh, what was the word she used? Not perfunctory, but... Generic or something? Generic, thank you. Um, that it was just generic sex. And CNN reported that uh, four people familiar with Fox News back during the election, that they say that Fox News had a, a, a detailed account of the sexual relationship between Stormy Daniels and Donald Trump, yeah, but that they opted not to publish it. That they spiked it. Now, a Fox News spokesperson said that they did have information. They have done 
recent stories about whatever alleged relationship took place between them, but that at the time they didn't have enough information about the story and they couldn't confirm enough of the details to go forward with it. Um, why is this coming back up again, though? I mean, I, I know the Wall Street Journal published last week. We talked about this on Friday, I think it was. Wall Street Journal said that they had information about the agreement so that supposedly the payoff that supposedly took place. And as part of that article, Stormy Daniels' own lawyer said there was an agreement, but there was never any relationship between them. We don't know what you're talking about. I don't know if that's what was spelled out in the agreement to say, but the timing of this is still one of those. I don't understand why it came out. House Republicans last night appeared to coalesce around a short-term funding bill to avert a government shutdown uh, on Friday. Looks like DACA remains at the center of this thing. We'll talk about that when we come back. Also, Jeff Flake's big speech, that Arizona senator didn't hold anything back when he talked about the president on the Senate floor today. Gary and Shannon will continue Swamp Watch right after this. on a, a Playboy story we had been following. Okay. Remember the playmate that took that picture in the gym of the woman? If you can't unsee this, if I can't oh, yeah. unsee this, you can't either. Danny uh, Mathers. Danny Mathers. Yeah. She has avoided jail time. I know oh. you'll be happy to find out that she has completed all of her 240 hours of graffiti removal community service. <laughs> oh, good. So there you go. There's your update for her. Uh, CNN has been running with this uh, this title that says that the president is going to speak live from Capitol Hill here in a few minutes. They've been running with it for a good half an hour or so. What well, because it's, what it's a Bob Dole thing. Yeah, that's it? what they're not saying. This is a uh, a ceremony to honor former Senator Bob Dole, uh, Purple Heart recipient Bob Dole. Pelosi spoke. Pelosi. McConnell smoke, yeah. spoke. People from both sides of the aisle are getting up and saying how great Bob Dole has been. And he's just, I mean, I don't know how Bob Dole's got to be. I'm Googling. He's 94. Just don't talk Bob about. Bob Dole is not as old as Betty White? Correct. And Betty White looks way better. Yeah. It's the vodka and the hot dogs. Vodka and the hot dogs. You better not say anything about Bob Dole getting divorced. No. Because we don't know about his personal life. Elizabeth Dole, no. They, no. Nope. Well, you know, that wasn't his first wife. His first wife was oh Phyllis Holden. <laughs> don't. You're going to make people mad. And she died. Stop it. I'm serious. She did? Mm-hmm. While he was married to her? No. Oh. 2008. Okay. Senator uh, Jeff Flake of Arizona. No huge fan of uh, of President Trump. He's made his uh he's made that known and President Trump is also no huge fan of Jeff Flake. He's made that known. They've kind of gone back and forth. But one of the things that Jeff Flake wanted to do is he wanted to go out with a bang. He's not running for re-election um and he took to the floor of the Senate today to describe why he thought the president's attacks on the media were dangerous. Mr. President, 
It is a testament to the condition of our democracy that our own president uses words infamously spoken by Joseph Stalin to describe his enemies. Uh, He's referring to when the president declared last February that the press, the media, was an enemy of the American people. And Jeff Flake was trying to make that. I guess it's because, you know, the whole uh, Hitler stuff is, is passe now. So we might as well find some other dictator and try to use that. Yes. As the, uh, that, just, that is a very good point. But he's, again, Jeff Flake, it, he's done. I, I, I don't want to say he's done like he's washed up, but he's not, he's not a player in any he's of this anymore. He's a lame duck. Yeah. Well, House Republicans last night seemed to gather around a short-term funding bill. Uh, Speaker Paul Ryan unveiled this plan at a House Republican conference meeting to fund the government through February 16th. Uh, Numerous rank-and-file members quickly endorsed it, even though it's annoying that they have another short-term patch, right? Just keep punting this thing down the road. It includes a delay of several Obamacare taxes and a six-year extension of a program for children, a health care program for children you've probably heard a lot about. It was kind of hanging in limbo. Are they going to – they they have said they want to vote on this tomorrow, although I know that – so that's the House Republicans. House Democrats met with John Kelly today with the White House chief of staff, and while they did say that the meeting was positive, I think it was specifically the Congressional Hispanic Caucus that met with him today. Yeah, but the Freedom Caucus hates it. Yeah. I mean, we're st- we're st- we still have a ways to go, and th- I know that they work – they can work quickly in Congress to put something together – uh, or at least agree on principal things before they put it, the language down on, into a bill and then vote on it. But like you said, some of the Freedom Caucus, some of the, the more defense-minded representatives are not happy with it. Austin Scott, for example, member of the House Armed Services Committee, he stood up at this meeting to lecture the leaders about how temporary continuing rep- resolutions are bad for the military. He says, in the end, the issue with national security is totally different than any of the other issues hanging out there. We need to resolve this issue. DACA necessarily does not need to be settled to avoid a government shutdown. Um, Democrats in the Senate have not indicated they'd be willing to shut down the government over DACA. So. Yeah, and, I, and the leaders from both sides, they still have meetings scheduled today after this uh, ceremony for Bob Dole. They have plenty of stuff that they're going to talk about over the next, uh, I don't know, 12 hours. And if they do have a uh, a vote or if they do announce a vote, we'll let you know. But it's uh, at least right now temporarily scheduled for tomorrow. All right, next hour, we're going to get into Dr. Wendy Walsh's uh, brains, and we're going to ask her about these Turpin kids about what goes on in a in a husband and wife or a team. How do you get two people that are that broken that they can allow the other person to continue tormenting kids like this? Why is it that there are couples? Why doesn't one person wake up out of that uh, that horror that they find themselves in? We'll talk all about that and an update on those kids as well. When we continue with Gary and Shannon. Darkness right in front of me, oh, it's calling out and I won't walk. Gary and Shannon on a uh, Wednesday, January 17th. 
Dr. Wendy's going to join us about 1.30. We're going to talk more about uh, the mentality behind what we have seen. The biggest story out of Southern California this week, the 13 captive siblings in Paris. David and Louise Turpin, the parents, arrested on Sunday after one of those kids escaped through a window with a cell phone she had stolen from inside. She called 911. It was actually... A cell phone that was no longer in use, but you can still call 911 from those. Uh, That's one of those tricks that they say to do for, like, uh, earthquake preparedness. You know, your old cell phones, stash them, one in the garage, one in uh, the other room there. So if you're trapped or or whatever, you can call for help on those old cell phones. But it looks like this couple uh, could face charges that include torture and child endangerment. Uh, Court appearance scheduled for Thursday. And as everyone has seen those those pictures from their Facebook page at the renewal of the vows at the Vegas Elvis Chapel, you look like you're looking at a group of kids that are all about the same age, right? Maybe uh, 11, 12 years old. Well, half of them, more than half of them, are 18 to 29. Yeah, which has surprised not only the deputies that first walked in there, but also the hospital staff that has been taking care of them, saying... These kids do not look like they're 27, 28, 29 years old in some cases. The question that we keep asking, and there has not been a, uh, what's the word? There's not been a uh, satisfying answer is, how in the world does this go on for this long and nobody drops a dime on them? Nobody calls Child Protective Services or the police or Sheriff's Department and says, Something very weird is going on with this family. And it doesn't even have to be the neighbors. The other family members. Two of the sisters of the mom have done interviews. I'm going to play for you the one we didn't hear from. We'll play uh, her creepy shower thing in just a second. But Teresa Robinette is one of the moms, is the mom's, one of mom's sisters. How's that? And she says that. She doesn't understand the mentality that went into keeping your kids captive, it looks like, that they've been doing for years. I've never felt such a different mixture of emotions. Like, I seriously am so heartbroken for my nieces and nephews, and at the same time, I can't even say the words to you that I would like to say to her. I'm so angry inside. I'm mad. I'm hurt. Um, You know, our life wasn't perfect growing up, but... She didn't live like, like that. This, and neither yeah. did David. David, I knew his parents. He was raised in a very wealthy home church. As a matter of fact, my dad was a preacher at one time when I was very little. And he, they weren't raised like that. You know, I don't know where it came from. I feel like it's a bad dream. She said that she made comments to Louise when she did talk to her seldom times. And she would say to her about the kids, gosh, they're so skinny. And that Louise would laugh it off. Well, David's so tall and lanky, they're going to be like him. (laughs) The other aunt has a story that she tells. She says, well, she hasn't really kept in contact. I mean, she's tried to. But, uh, you know, I haven't been able to see the kids for a very long time. I'm spoken to him for what 19 years or something like that she goes well, i did live with him for a couple months when i was in college and the the guy the uh, my sister's husband he made me feel uncomfortable well like if i went to get in the shower he would come in there while i was in there and watch me and it was like a joke 
He never touched me or anything, but... Did you say anything to anybody about his, his actions? No. I was young. I was scared. I was in Texas where I knew nobody, had no family. Um, I was treated like one of the kids, kind of, so I had rules. I know, probably looking back, but, you know... Well, I'd now say, that I'm an adult yeah, yeah. and I look back, I see things that I didn't see then. Sure. That's that's ridiculous. I mean, this this was a guy that was looking at you in the shower. You ever had male roommates? Yes. Anybody ever jokingly just sit in the bathroom while you were taking a shower? No. No. Your face got really serious. Well, because how is that in any way a joke? I don't understand why she would have classified it that no. way. No. Okay, so how... The, the the mental gymnastics that these people had to go through. I'm not blaming Teresa Robinette or Elizabeth Jane Flores. I mean, the blame squarely rests on the shoulders of David and Louise Turpin. Yes. That being said, the the mental gymnastics that you have to go through to convince yourself that this is okay. I, I mean, another example, and we pointed this out yesterday. The neighbor. No, no, I was going to oh. say the parents. So Elizabeth... Jane Flores says that her and Louise and Elizabeth's parents, their mom and dad, all these kids' grandparents, would fly to Southern California. They'd get all the way out here. I don't know where they came in, LAX, Ontario, doesn't matter. They'd come all the way out here and ask to see the grandkids, and David and Louise would not give them their address. How that is not... That wouldn't make that, you want to call the cops. Uh, yeah, it would. No, it wouldn't. You would just think, oh, my kids don't love me anymore or something. Or, you know, I don't think you would You would necessarily think of anything nefarious. I mean, families, this happens. Your family is so normal. Families will, the people in families will go years without talking to each other. I mean, it happens a lot. Yeah, but it's usually because of something that goes on. It's not just a know. thing. It's not just, if, if. If mom and dad, if uh, grandma and grandpa, I'll use that. If grandma and grandpa come all the way out to California, they're not allowed to see their kids. I, I actually cry. have a friend who that happened to. Her uh, her sibling lives on the East Coast, and the mom went out there, and he didn't want anything to do with her. Different. Different. Because kids weren't involved. Yes, they were. There were grandchildren. So that, so she wanted yeah, to go I mean, see this, grand- You don't understand. Family dynamics are so weird. People do stupid stuff. They ostracize uh, certain people from their families. People grow up and they have these um, reservations about their parents and they don't want their parents to have anything to do with their kids. And people get really weird and they go through decades sometimes of not talking to each other or periods of years. The, the neighbor is the one that... I think we have a bigger problem with because he had a front seat to what was going on in that house. And he talked to the New York Post yesterday about it, about what he observed in this house when they lived in Murrieta. Oh, we'll talk about that when we come back and why this is another one of those things where we keep seeing red flag after red flag, but nobody wants to say, hey, that's a red flag. Ooh, and money. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, 
and your chance at 1,000 big ones. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword cash to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's cash to 200-200. Makes me want to go all rear window with my neighbors. What's going on in those houses? Uh, I've got one house on my block where I want to know what goes on in there. The curtains are always drawn. There's a lot of bicycles in the back. I feel like it's maybe one of those homes where, like, adults live after a halfway house or something. Big bikes? Little bikes? Big bikes. Like adult bikes. Different cars and stuff going to and fro. And the guy that, the the one car, the constant car that parks in the drive is a nice car. It's like an Infinity or something. So I think that maybe he gets money from the state for, like, housing people. I don't know. I've just I've just worked up a big Boo Radley thing going on, you know. <laughs> Thank you for that reference, by the way. You're welcome. You know I'm in the middle of To Kill a Mockingbird, so I get it. Uh, Lawanda writes and says, you're starting to sound silly. OMG, call the police because those kids are skinny. They're walking around the yard at night. They don't speak or they speak at the same time. It's all a red flag. No, no, no. It wasn't it that, it it, wasn't that they, they were walking around the park or the, the, the yard at night. It no, was, no. They were like marching in... Formation. Yeah, and that's the part the neighbor that we were gonna <laughs> that we were gonna explain. The neighbor says that when they were living in Marietta, they were upstairs in the house, marching in formation back and cro- back and forth across the house. That's weird. And and not at ten o'clock at night, like, all right, everybody in line, it's bedtime. It was like between the hours of midnight and three in the morning. Yeah, like if I looked across the street and I saw a bunch of kids marching in the middle of the night, one time, like you said, one time, it'd one be time. like, yeah, okay, what's going on there? Whatever, not my business. But if it happened repeatedly, it might be worth a phone call. Well, I look back at my experience, and I'm not saying that mine is the experience that every parent has or every normal, you know, every family has, but the times that my kids have been up at that hour is because, number one, they have barfed all over themselves with the bed. Mm. Uh, they had to go to the bathroom, and they couldn't do it by themselves. Or we were up early to leave the house for vacation or something like that. They didn't get up and play. They didn't stay up late at night. They didn't, and certainly didn't do calisthenics at 2.45 in the morning. So the one time it happens, yeah, you kind of brush it off. You blow it off, and you go, that's no big deal. But if you're also seeing that the kid's look different they look emaciated they act differently you never really see them outside or is it just playing with other kids kids just weird because it's a big family you know you can explain away a lot of it you can explain away a lot of it but that you mean to yourself yeah because that's what i'm I'm talking about if i'm a neighbor the, the, the neighbors that they've spoken to and the neighbor said yeah we'd only see three or four of them at a time they were kind of weird they were kind of monotony they would you know uh They'd answer at the same time or they didn't they didn't respond to questions. You can kind of explain that away. Oh, it's it's just a big family. Kids are just a little off. You don't your mind doesn't go right away to, well, those kids must be chained up in that house. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody would have seen that they were shackled. Yeah, that that was a twist to this whole thing that that no one would have ever had the ability to see. But how it how it comes out that you've got. 13 kids, 13 siblings in there. I shouldn't, we got to stop saying kids all the time. 13 siblings in there. Seven of them are adult 
children of this couple. Obviously, some of them have been driving. There's three or four cars in the driveway. I want to know about the hold that this dad or these parents have over the kids and what it was like to to be raised in that house. And and we'll know. It'll be on the cover of People magazine probably in two months or so. You know, what it was like inside the house. One of the kids will be speaking, doing a big interview about that. But I, I feel like something, you know, yesterday we were talking about, well, what happened? Here they are at Disneyland. Here they are at Disneyland again. Here they are at this vow renewal ceremony at this bizarre Elvis chapel in Vegas. Um, we don't know that they were totally happy kids in those pictures. Just because they were at Disneyland and they're smiling in the video at the Elvis Chapel doesn't mean they were well-adjusted kids and then something happened and now they're getting chained up. They could have been chained up their whole lives. I'm I'm very curious to see what kind of conditions they're being kept in right now in the hospitals. I know that the, the adult children are in one hospital, the minor kids are in another hospital, and they are being kept together, or kept is not the right word, find something else. They're, they're being taken care of together, and in fact, they're in a guarded area, so you don't have a bunch of people going in and gawking at them. Or I wonder if that was by design, keep all the older kids together, keep all the younger kids together. I mean, what's the protocol for finding 13 kids in a house from the ages of 2 to 29 and yeah, how you break that down and unpack that? And then there's two different agencies that take care of them. I mean, I mean the, the adults can be offered services, but they, you know, unless they show that they cannot take care of themselves, they're kind of on their own. I mean, the county can obviously offer things to them yeah. and other organizations come forward, can come forward and offer to help them readjust into society. But I mean, we'll talk with Dr. Wendy in just a few minutes about this. You're if, if you're 29 years old, you've grown up in this your entire life. You've got at least 29 years of deprogramming, I think, that you'd have to go through constant Yes. Rehabilitation, whether it's physical in some cases, mental in other cases, you, you do not function in everyday society if you just are let go. I started reading the J.C. Dugard book, her book that she wrote, and I couldn't finish it. I couldn't even get halfway through. She started talking about this and what a struggle it is every day to deprogram and all that. Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, I could the, even read half of the book. The, it was so excruciating. The three women from Cleveland. That they yeah. were in that guy's house for so long. And the six-year-old who was the child of one of those by this guy, how does that kid – where do you go? You don't just move to downtown Cleveland and pick up where you left off. We're going to be talking to Dr. Wendy about why David and Louise may have held their children captive. And, you know, when I'm just thinking about that, I'm thinking about the piece of information we learned about how he married her. She left home when she was 16 and got married to this guy. So was she – one of the kids that was programmed, does he have a hold on her since she's, he's known her before she was 16, right? Yeah. I mean, he's, she, she's been under his, uh, maybe his control for all this time. Well, we'll continue. Again, Dr. Wendy's going to join us. We're going to get a little bit at least into why it is that they may have been holding their kids captive. What kind of mentality goes into that? Gary and Shannon, we'll continue. The doctor is in with Dr. Wendy Walsh. <laughs> this is not the music for up. this story. Well, the way he says it, Wendy Walsh. <laughs> Who is he? I don't know. Oh, no, we've met him. He's a nice guy. This is not the story, the music to go with this story. Today. No, we need like no. horror music. House of Horrors. Good Lord. Yeah. Talk to us about this family of 15 and what possibly all 
obviously, this is all speculation at this point. We just don't have all of the answers about this couple and if it was both of them controlling their children, torturing them, chaining them up. If it was just the father, don't know. We do know, like I said before the break, that she married him when she was six. She left home to marry him when she was 16. So. And had one of the babies two years before they got married. They got married when she was 22. But if you do the math, they, they've been married 27 years. One baby is 29. Mm. And I say baby because they were so malnourished yeah. that even the one that was almost middle-aged well, what was, <laughs> looked like a child. What, when you see a story like that, outside yeah. of the the you know, the mom part of Wendy where, you you know, right. you think about how could you possibly do this to kids? No, I love the, to analyze this stuff. So do, does that, do you jump so into that right away? The first thing I want to say that's news you can use for everybody is that, you know, there are two kinds of extremes in families, one that's too open and too closed. And then there's a big gray area in between. So the family of origin that I was raised in was on the open side. At any given night, you wouldn't know who Everyone was welcome to dinner, and it was like in a loving kind of thing. My parents would go to church on Sunday, and whatever person they picked up or would have the priest invite them for Sunday dinner, there was always people. If you went on some college exchange program, you'd bring home a bunch of students, and they were there for a month. You know, we kind of had an open family, but we still had some semblance of structure. Now, then there's the other extreme of families that are too close. Now, there are some families that just are naturally a little bit private. They don't want people in their business. And they, their rules, it's their way or the highway, and they run a tight ship within their walls. But they're not abusive. So then you see the extremes. And the far extreme, of course, in the open family is there's just too many, uh, maybe a revolving door of parental figures, too loosey-goosey on the boundaries with teenagers who are having anybody sleep over, you know, et cetera. And there's where an open family goes awry. Then on the closed side, we see the most extreme example over here where it's almost cultish, right? And the way what's interesting is, you know, one of the things malnourishment does to children besides saving the parents money on food is it keeps them small, physically small, so controllable. It also affects their brain development in a very negative way, again, making them more controllable. I am most, of all the people I'm most interested in learning about is a 17-year-old daughter. The one who was able to escape on Sunday morning and call 911. Because how did she know when you're in such a closed system for your entire life, that's your normal? And how did she know that this was abuse? I'm pretty sure that these kids didn't get to see a lot of media. Oh, there was there were already reports that they didn't have TV or they were not allowed to watch TV. I should say that right. now. Obviously, they had some access in the house to to the internet because the parents had a Facebook page. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if it was recent, but I mean, it was last updated a couple of years ago. But a couple of years ago, and it probably had a password on it that only the parents could use. My right. money, posting. my money is on the seventeen-year-old getting into the computer or into a phone or something. And maybe and talking out, like, to somebody. There's something wrong with the system. Yeah. The other thing that happens is the youngest was two. So what happens when, and this happens sometimes with parents who may have had traumatic childhoods, when their babies are born, as the babies hit certain ages, the bodies of the parents remember. And that's why new parents often fight so much because they're both speaking for that baby who they believe is 
You know, when the baby cries, they're thinking it's the trauma they went through. So I see the 17-year-old girl, and I think she's probably looking at that two-year-old, or what's the next one up? I didn't see. Three, four, five, I don't know. Somewhere in there. I don't Somewhere know. in there, little ones, and seeing the abuse, and her body's remembering the pain wow. from that. And maybe that was the thing that made her strong enough to reach out. Because did you see the movie Room? Yes. Right, like... When you've only been raising that little boy didn't even know that there was a sky out there or people or cars or anything. And when they've been kept this sheltered. Now, mind you, they managed to trail them all to Vegas every once in a while to redo their vows. And Disneyland. And Disneyland. So they have seen the world a little bit, but they obviously to keep though that large group of kids dressed identically. And so compliant. That's why I think it was like a a mind control thing. And and also there had to have been so much physical abuse to make that happen. They had to fear in order to be compliant. Did it... Did it necessarily have to come to physical abuse, though? Or, or I mean, if, you, if you're training the children from the very beginning about who is the authority figure and you'll do what I say, you don't even necessarily need to beat them into submission. I mean, for lack no. of a better term. But. Yes, you do. Kids are <laughs> kids grow. They're like wild vines and flowers and they sprout in all kinds of interesting ways and they try new words and they try new stuff. And I'm not saying that the only way to shape child behavior is to beat them you've already but this yeah, degree already of the spanking yeah, thing this degree of compliance you don't get just by saying you be good i'm in charge now oh okay. john said something yesterday i want to ask you about when we come back because so far there has been no evidence of uh sexual abuse but i was listening to john and ken on the way home and he was saying that You know, you don't have to see sexual behavior to feel those urges, you know, as you're growing up. And he was wondering about the boys in the house. And, you know, we're we're here today that the boys were older. I mean, some of a couple of them in their 20s. And when boys get to be a certain age, the urges are there. And what happens to those if you're not socialized, if you are just, I don't know, in a house with all your sisters? Remember the Dugers? Yeah. Remember the older brother fondling his little sisters? I wanted to find out what your thoughts are on that when we come back. Gary Channel will continue. Dr. Wendy has joined us. We'll continue. Gary and Shannon, Dr. Wendy Walsh has joined us. We're talking about sort of a... Uh, a therapist's view of what we have seen out of the David and Louise Turpin case in uh, San Bernardino County, sorry, Riverside County, where they had 13 of their kids, seven of them adult-aged children. I don't know that's even the like the right term Yeah, I don't for know if it, you but... can call them just adults when they're 29 years old. That's practically middle-aged. Yeah. Mean... Um, anyway, and... just just this issue of what goes on. Well, one question I had was we've, we played some of the sound from Louise's sister's who for a long time had been shut out of her life and had begged in one case, said that they had begged to talk to some of their kids to meet their nieces and nephews and were not allowed to. And I know we had this discussion. Like every family's different and they're weird mm-hmm. and not weird and open and not open. And But to me, that's a... That's weird enough that's that even if, I, even if I bring that up to, to friends or whatever and, and I say, oh, you guys know my sister doesn't allow me to talk to my nieces and nephews. And to see their faces do what your face just did, yeah. I'd say, oh, maybe that is weird. Well, here's how they might have rationalized it to the sister. I, I mean, I'm trying to figure out why she didn't take it as a red flag. 
they could have said something like, you know, God has said that we must keep our family sacred and we don't believe in the morality of your family. And then the next thing you know, the sister's on the defensive. Well, what do you mean you don't believe in the morality? And they get into a fight and all of a sudden the distraction happens and it's not about whether the kids are safe or not. Right. So, you know, families do that. And this particular family, you know, I don't, obviously, I can't assess the parents, but there was something on with the mental health And I would say it comes from the father because of the age difference. Now, it was only eight years difference, but they've been together since she was 16 and he was 24. He has enough high-functioning habits that he's been able to hold down a pretty serious career as an engineer. Was it at Northrop Grumman or something? Yeah, like pretty serious. Um, But, you know, there are plenty of non-neurotypical engineers with all due respect to all engineers. And they're fantastic uh, and they're at fantastic their jobs people. because of that. Right, exactly. Um, and so it's not like any of co-workers might suspect anything because there are lots of engineers walking around not warm and fuzzy and not disclosing things about their home life. That's just sort of... And they're killing it at their job. Exactly. So uh, I, I just, I'm fascinated to see the recovery of these children and adults especially the older ones who lived in this trauma for their whole lives and had the physiological brain development during extreme malnutrition. If, if authorities thought that people in their 20s were children who were 10 or 11, you know not only was their growth severely stunted, but their brain development as well. Because of the malnutrition. Yeah. And they have some of them in hospital now on intravenous and slow feeding because they'll get sick if you just give them too much food right now and they probably can't handle much well shannon mentioned this before the break we were talking about the the, the issues of the urges that the boys the must feel at there's, certain ages there's uh-huh. three boys uh and i think all of Wait, them out are of the in 13 their... there's only three boys yeah, yeah. interesting huh and yeah. i think all three of them are in their 20s so they're of Ooh. the they're of the older variety i mean when you look at the group uh, the 13 of them Ooh. uh and John kind of played on this. Again, no evidence, according to the authorities in their news conference yesterday, no no evidence of sexual abuse. Uh, although there are, because there have been questions about who's the father of the two-year-old or who's, more importantly, who's the mother of the two-year-old in this oh, case. Oh, which oh. Is, Wait, how old's mom? Are they? 47? She's in her 40s now. 49. She's yeah. 49. So the last baby had to come out at, what, 47? 46, 47, mm, yeah. Mm, mm, which the is plot a, thickens. It, it's possible. It's on the... It's on the outer edges of, of viability, Way but it's possible. Edges. Yeah. Um, but if you've got these kids who they are not exposed to the world, they're not exposed to what this family might consider And they get natural things. urges when Mother Nature tells them to have natural urges and there's no recipient it, around except a sister. It wouldn't be a surprise if there was some amount a of surprise this. surprise of that there was incest going on. And would, also, can we just talk about the fact that when you're experiencing trauma, um, sex and closeness is one of the most calming things that humans do. Well, and that just adds a layer to whatever recovery would be. I mean, yeah. if, if you if the oldest is 29, I would imagine that you've just got a plan for the rest of that person's life. They're in and some amount of therapy. I know it's hard to rationalize the irrational, but what were these people thinking that their children would stay young forever and they could control them forever? Like, what was their game plan? Wait a minute, ten years out. To me, the Disney thing is 
plays into that mentality. Yes, I do believe they did. They wanted to be in that fantasy land. I love Disneyland. I've been there many times. I take my kids there. But I don't believe that my kids are going to stay kids for the rest of their lives. I do think that there is something to that part of it. Yeah. They were really missing the piece of understanding that if you do your job well as a parent, you work yourself out of a job. But they did the opposite. Their parenting job grew bigger and bigger and bigger as they grew the brood. And they did everything they could to not let anybody grow up and leave them. That's severe abandonment issues right there. And what about the mentality that two people can do this? I mean, that, that, that two people... Well, again, she was practically a child herself. Her brain... Not, the prefrontal cortex is not fully developed, and that's your executive function decision-making until you're like 25. I often say you shouldn't be allowed to make any decision except maybe ordering from a rem- menu until you're 25. <laughs> so true. <laughs> and so she was half-child herself when he came along. He was 30, so he led the way, and now she's in it, being raised by him as well. Ugh. Well, we'll. I assume we'll find out more oh, tomorrow. Is, more. is when mom and dad are supposed to be in court, uh, and that's usually when we get some sort of a document dump of some kind and get some information from search warrants, from uh, charging documents, and things like that. So, well, thank you. Oh, sad, sad story. Yes, my heart breaks for those kids. John, hi. Hello, hello, John. I was fantasizing today about starting my own cult. Oh, I think I understand how to do it. Okay. Like intellectually, I know. I think you already have a little bit. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, we do. Like you have people with heads on sticks in big crowds. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Uh, You know, lake of fire, (laughs) throwing people into a dumpster. Like I think you've reached cult status with the show. Yeah, yeah. No, I want something that works for me personally, though. However, intellectually, you know it, but morally, I don't think you could do it. I think he could. <laughs> I've spent more time with him. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> when, when I'm when I'm up for death row, I want you to be a character witness for me. <laughs> no, I think you ought to fry. All right, well, thank you. What, what are you guys doing today? Huh? Well, a lot on that because uh, these kind of cases really fascinate me. I know. I, know. I mean, and anything that has really bizarre, deep mental illness. I, I I can't get enough of. And that so many people saw at least slivers of it, but could yeah, never put the puzzle it's, together. It's because to... they're only slow. Well, most people are, are really meek and cowardly. Yeah. They're afraid to do anything because what if they're wrong? That's That permeates like too much of the culture. Well, I don't want to judge. Hey, judge. <laughs> you were given you were given judgment as part of the package. So uh, the when, package. when something makes you feel queasy, there's a reason it makes you feel queasy. I agree. All right. So All that's right. what's coming up. John and Ken, up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. That's it. That's it. That is it. Gary and Shannon.